You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Steve Glasson. Steve represented Australia in lawn bowls over 300 times and won the Australian Championships 19 times. In 2004, he became the first Australian to be world number one in men's singles. He then transitioned into coaching, and from 2011 until 2021, he was the coach of the Australian Lawn Bowls team, where he oversaw the men's, women's, youth, and physically impaired teams. His achievements as a coach are quite lengthy, and when I asked him to list them, he simply said, numerous gold, silver, and bronze medals at the Commonwealth Games, World Championships, Asia-Pacific Games, World Cup, and other international events. In 2012, Steve was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia. Steve is a calm, pragmatic coach who understands the values of trust and hard work when it comes to unlocking improved performance in individuals and teams. He is also selfless and tireless in the way that the very best coaches are and believes in the enduring importance of athletes aspiring to be wonderful ambassadors for their own last name. 
as a former world champion himself, he approaches his coaching through the lens of the athlete and in fact considers it a privilege to be in a position where he is able to have the type of deep conversation with a person that allows you to understand more about their motivations, dreams and insecurities. Other key highlights in this discussion for me were how lawn bowls is often perceived as a sport for older people, but as Steve points out early in this interview, the average age of the Australian bowls team is less than the average age of the Australian cricket team. The importance of focusing on the process and not the end outcomes if you want to win championships, and making sure that the process is flexible enough to allow you to learn from your failures, and how confidence can be rebuilt by taking the athlete back to their strengths and what they are able to execute best. This is a great conversation with an all-round terrific bloke and coach, and I hope you enjoyed as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And while you're there, if you would like to help our podcast, which is fully independent and free from ads, you can follow the link to our Patreon page where we offer exclusive content to our supporters. And now, please enjoy our interview with Steve Glasson. The Great Coaches Podcast. So, Steve Glasson, it's lovely to meet you. Oh, you too, Paul. Thanks. All the way from Prague to Sydney. This is wonderful. So, thank you for the opportunity to be part of your podcast series. And I'm looking forward to following them and learning a bit out of them as well from some of the other coaches. There's no better feeling for a coach than to listen and hear from other coaches. Certainly be tuning in for sure. Thanks, Steve. I hope they're interesting enough to hold your attention anyway. Let's see how we go. I'm sure they will be. So, Steve, I wanted to start with a quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was preparing for this interview, I was fascinated to read where you said, unlike tennis or golf, where if you play Federer or Nadal, you're not going to get on the scoreboard, bowls is uniquely different. It's really a level playing field and anyone can beat anyone. And I thought this was such a fascinating idea. So I wanted to start with a very simple question is in this kind of situation, what is the role of a coach in your sport? Yeah, so, well, I'm very privileged, very honoured to be the coach of the Australian team or the Australian squads in our HP system. So we have a tremendously broad spectrum when it comes to our system and it culminates in having the elite and world-class Australia's ranked sort of number one in the world. So that's fantastic. It's very, very competitive. But we also delve into things like the emerging players, the talent ID, para-sport players. We have a senior series, which is over 60s. So it's a really broad spectrum. And, and I guess bowls throughout the bowling world, which is primarily Commonwealth countries, I see the sport for those mature age participants. I think the average age of our Australian side here is well under the Australian cricket team, as an example. So it's a very young brigade, mostly in their 20s. Uh, we've got teenagers coming through the sport in their 20s and 30s and things like that. So it's fascinating. But for me, the coaching role is so broad again. So a lot of it's got to do with people management, I think. That's the critical ingredient. We're very lucky in the fact that we receive players when they're already developed in most cases or well-developed. And with that, it's basically fine-tuning them to be better at what they do condition specific so if they play say here in Sydney Australia will provide generally certain types of conditions we're also already gearing up for Birmingham Commonwealth Games in 22 where the conditions are vastly different so it's sort of manipulating their game technically and tactically to best suit those conditions but ultimately, it's getting to know the individual. I think that's the critical ingredient. We have the most fascinating conversations about all sorts of things that, that occur off the green or off the playing rink. So it's really just getting to know them. And the fundamentals are basic for me. I'm a very simple person when push comes to shove, but we want these players to hopefully realise their dreams in the sport 
and that's not always going to happen. We're realistic about it, but we want them to leave the sport with a great legacy and also the fact that they've become better people for being a part of it. Wonderful sport ambassadors, wonderful ambassadors for their own last name, their, their partners, maybe their, their corporate sponsors, just this the whole picture. So just to come out of a better people for it is a big plus and that's one of our big drivers in the actual program. Talking to other coaches that are in Commonwealth Games or Olympic sports, there's a heavy pressure on them to deliver a certain number of medals. But I've heard you talk about things very differently. (laughs) Yeah, you said that it's not about medals. It's about the process. I probably shouldn't say it publicly, but it it kind of is about the medals. So we have some wonderful stakeholders in the Australian Institute of Sport and Commonwealth Games Australia and Sports Australia, and they really fund our programs. And naturally, in consultation with them, we set... KPIs for these benchmark events and there's lows and highs. So we try and always exceed those. But in the back of my mind, I've never said this publicly, it's just between you and I, Paul, but I really don't look at them. Um, I don't look at the KPIs because I think if you start looking at the KPIs in that sort of environment, you start beginning to focus on the outcome rather than the actual process. So there's things we have to put in place that will basically ensure good results. I mean, there's always the bounce of the ball and things that can interfere and speed bumps along the way. But if we can prepare properly, have good plans in place and have contingencies for different things that can influence our performance, whether it's on the playing field or not, someone's going to have to come out and do something quite remarkable across the board with all their different disciplines to stop us achieving those goals, if that makes sense. That's the way I look at it. So there's certainly KPIs there and we are a performance-orientated program but sort of put them in the cupboard and leave them. And I don't think the players need that pressure on them as well. I mean, I suppose in the back of my mind it's there, but it's going through the processes and and those processes in our sport are are nine-hour days in benchmark events for potentially two weeks, 10 days, things like that. So you can't, in my way of thinking, make it too complicated. So just get on with the business. Do apply yourself to what you do best. Have strategies in place. And the majority of times, it doesn't always work. I guess that's the same in, in anything in life, whether it's family or business or whatever. It doesn't always work. You learn from your mistakes and we make plenty, but we've got really good people involved too that have specific skills that help drive this as well, which is excellent. So very, very basic theories, I guess, on the whole thing. It sounds basic, but it must be very difficult to execute. And I understand when we were emailing to prepare for this, you sent me some notes. And one of the things you said was that trust or slash confidentiality is one of the biggest ticket items as far as you're concerned. Could you just explain why? In this environment, when you're having those people, those one-on-one interactions with, in my case, elite people, you really want to get to know them. You want to know what makes them tick, what drives them, what can be a gap with them, like a bit of a gap analysis, all the sort of stuff that could influence their performances. So they're really getting to know them. And and that means breaking things down. That means being very transparent. But within that, then, it's not a conversation that you go and have with others about the intricacies of that conversation. So some might see it as a burden. I see it as a great honour to know a lot about our players and really personal stuff at times. So to build that trust up takes a long time. And I think to build that up, you've only got to balls it up once, basically, and that trust is gone forever. So with that trust comes confidentiality. And I mean, we share things, we share stories, and a lot of us, the entire group, know a lot of personal stuff about each other, but it stays within that confines of that environment. So to me, they're two of the really big ticket items that can influence a team and really build trust and bond and faith in one another. It's all about being the best wingman. So hopefully we're there for them and they're there for us and scratch each other's back, all those sort of things. But it's really, it's really important. Yeah, Steve, if there was a new coach, someone that was moving into a new team and you had to give them advice on 
building trust, what things would you tell them to do first? Oh, I think definitely listen. You've got to listen. You've got to be a good listener. And I think that's with anything. And I'm doing a lot of talking today. So for that, I apologize. But but you've got to be a good listener, understanding that people do go through different stages in their life, whether it's family planning or financial or get the yips in their sport or have other external pressures, whatever the case may be. So a bit of empathy. I think enjoyment's one of the key ingredients too. You must enjoy what you do. It's critical. If you don't enjoy it, or you've either got to get out or find a way to enjoy it. I think that's the ultimate goal with anything, whether it's business or sports. So we often talk, and particularly with our girls, they're a beautiful group. And sometimes if the scoreboard isn't quite going their way, and the boys are the same, but they can stress a little bit. But we're always emphasizing to them, just you play your best when you're enjoying yourself. So just get out there and make it free-flowing and, and a little bit of that X factor. Some of them got these most amazing skills. So don't lose sight of that and bring that back. And again, the reality of it is that you not going to win every single time you go out and play. So the best players, champions in sport will always win more than they lose. But be expected sometimes that you're going to have a day where it's not your best. Accept that. Shake the opposition's hand when it's all over. Say, well done, you you got me today. But in the back of your mind, just remember, next time I play Paul, I'm I'm out to belt him. So use that as motivation as well. You know, there's always learnings and being a good sports person about it, be a great winner, but also a great loser, that sort of thing is really important. So, and it's not easy. I mean, it's a tough challenge. So, and it's particularly tough for them, especially if it's a big goal of theirs, this particular event, and perhaps they fall short. Well, then there's the aftermath of that and working through them. And again, we've got wonderful people behind the scenes that help them in their health and wellbeing space and all that sort of stuff. So it's a wonderful challenge. And I guess what I've noticed most is that I was a participant early on. I was an Australian rep, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of realise the transition from playing to coach was when you're a player, it's kind of a bit selfish because you turn up on the day and and you're all sort of focused about what you want to do and how you've got to go about things and your pre-game routines and your pre-shot routines and pre-everything. And you get out there and with a coach, it's just the polar opposite. And I think I actually, well, I'm very confident I enjoyed this aspect of the sport and I've been involved for a long time, more than probably playing myself to go through that. And as I say, there's most amazing speed bumps along the way that you've got to deal with and they can be so insignificant that impact a player or they can be really significant and be career-defining, so to speak. So it's exciting. No day's the same. I want to ask you about great coaches and tournaments, but I want to just pick up on something you talked about a minute ago, which was being calm. And it's interesting because in preparation for today, I was online watching you and you've represented Australia over 300-plus occasions as a player and you've won over 100 championships. So there's plenty of footage <laughs> to watch. You should see me playing now. It's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, anyway, I won't go there. No. But you just seem so calm. You seem calm. And I'm wondering, is there any tips or routines? Is there something you do to stay calm or is it just who you are? No, I can probably guarantee I'm not that calm. I don't go mad. I, I try and motivate the players. But when I first started coaching, it was a lot more difficult because I was sort of fresher out of being a player. So you used to have that ability when you were playing to have a say in it when the actual game's on. And it was sort of had that input, that involvement. But as a coach, you're on the sideline and you haven't got that same ability to have a control or, or a say in the match. So early on, it was kind of difficult. It was very hard for me to sort of quantify that and pull it off without the players. And I don't really want to kick a chair or anything like that, but you'd certainly have that emotion. But these days, I think we've probably got better with experience with preparation and planning and also just understanding what they're going through out in the field and trying to see them through it. So your focus kinds of changes. I hope that answers your question. But there's certainly moments where you're nervous. You're nervous for them. You're nervous because of the conditions or whatever the case may be. But again, if you've done the prep, 
and people are in a good place in their life, they're ready to peak at the right times, all that sort of thing. More times than not, the success ratio is high. So it's there and there's opportunities available for them. So sounds like it comes back to your idea of the process being more important than the outcome. And if you follow that through, things will take care of themselves. Yeah, a big believer in that. You can't sort of look too far ahead. I mean, we're looking ahead program-wise to Birmingham in 22 and beyond years to come. And we're looking at talent ID with juniors that are under 18. So there's certainly that long-term vision. But when you're out there playing, it's in the moment. There's no point thinking, oh, at the end of this week, we've got to have three gold medals or something because you get so wrapped up on that. And that therefore causes you stress and probably anxiety. So that's the way I deal with it. I mean, all coaches are different. They have their own philosophies, but that's sort of what ticks my boat or floats my boat, so to speak. You've travelled all over the world with bowls. You've been to multiple Commonwealth Games, multiple countries. You've had a great ride. And I guess you've also seen a lot of other sports up close and a lot of other coaches. What is it you think the great coaches do differently from the ones who potentially aren't so great? Yeah, I don't know. I think you've got to have the right people around you for starters. I think that's really important. So whether that's your fellow management, you've got to have a good line of communication. Even I know a lot of sports, some of the CEOs and the national coaches tend to clash a little bit. I'm pretty fortunate that situation that the CEO that we have and my relationship is very strong. So we can talk about a lot of things. We can debate things, which is healthy. But, but not hold grudges. I think that's really important. So, but certainly having those right people around you is very important and having people with certain skill sets that best suits the environment, that best suits what you're trying to achieve, that, that are willing to follow a certain philosophy and not only follow it, but really help drive it as well. I think that's really important. So, and that's probably more so on the sideline. And then, of course, you've got your elite talent that, and where Australia is a very privileged nation because we've got a, a really good group of elite players, both formally current and coming through that we can sort of call on. So, but you've got to keep pushing all the time. And the minute you think, oh, you know, we've made it or we're close is the minute that you'll go backwards very, very quickly. So it's a constant drive. I hate to say it, it's a well-used analogy, but the little one percenters are really important. So getting those little things right, and it can be very, very simple things that can make a difference between being on the podium and not, or maybe a gold medal to a silver medal. It's exciting. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I want to pick up on this idea of disappointments, actually, because you've said I've experienced the highs and lows and that's put me in a good stead to be a coach. And I guess part of coaching is always dealing with your own self-doubt or the self-doubt of your athletes. How do you go about dealing or helping your athletes deal with self-doubt? 
Yeah, it's a difficult one because, again, every personality is different. It's having that intimate relationship with them, I guess. You have a good idea of how they tick, what motivates them, and they're all so vastly different. I probably can't put my finger on it exactly. It's just working through with them, I think. It's having those deep conversations. And sometimes it mightn't be actual game that's in some. It might be something outside. It could be, God forbid, it's a marriage or work or something like that that has influenced some negative thinking. I mean, I go through it myself. I question what I do regularly, and these guys instill confidence in me as well. So it's a big circle, really. If that deteriorates, well, then you basically go back to the drawing board and start again and work out what does work and what doesn't work. And we'll all make mistakes. And as you so correctly said, I've been fortunate. I've had great highs and I've had disappointments through my career. But I think that's all an entree to doing this job that I can relate to that and understand that it's not perfect. The, the world's not perfect. What we do is not perfect. We haven't got perfect staff or coaches or players. And that's a wonderful challenge. And I think trying to get the best out of individuals and understanding that we've all got a role to play in this and sharing it is really important. When you took over the job as the Australian national coach, you were very public in the fact that you worked hard to improve the culture. When there's a coach who's trying to improve the culture of their team, what things do you think they should do first? I think culture is always a difficult one because it's a never-ending process, really. Again, it's one of those things that if you think you've got there, you're probably kidding yourself. So the culture was solid. It's good. It wasn't necessarily the culture that I thought it could be. And maybe some of that was instilled from previous regimes as well. Not saying it was wrong, but it was just different. So we really wanted to bring the group closer together. I think the inclusiveness of gender, of ability, disability, age was one of the critical components and all of that to make sure that that was really, that they really gelled. And that in itself was difficult because we had para teams come in that really do their own thing for most of the year, then come in for Commonwealth Games and join our elite. So vastly different setting to have those two sort of groups unite. I think respect's one of the biggest things, respecting each other's differences in life, maybe their different background, maybe their heritage, whatever the case may be, might be something so simple as their sense of humour that is very, very different. So all these things that you bring together, but with one common goal and it's following a philosophy about and focus legacy, ambassadorship, great play, all these things that make you really proud to wear the Australian jersey in your chosen sport. So, and, and to leave that in a better place for the people that are coming through behind you. Pretty simple again, you know, we talk about things like no BS, no bullshit. So that's really important. A couple of bad words here, but we kind of always talk about a no wanker policy within the group. So we're looking for good, genuine people that are prepared to stand up and have a go that will take a hit and pick themselves back up again and go forward, the fight or flight situation. And again, sport is such a great challenge and you just never know what you're going to get. You can wake up on any given morning and feel on top of the world and go out and have the worst day ever. You can not sleep all night, wake up feeling miserable and dreadful and play the game of your life or have the day of life. So, you know, there's unpredictabilities there that sometimes you just can't foresee. And that's one of the things that keeps us going. That's why I love it because, again, no day is ever the same. Every day is different. And I love that my life. We talked earlier about the fact when we were before the interview went live, you've got four boys. And I'm interested because you just talked about fight or flight then. And I think you touched on helping people be resilient, keep going. Could you talk about how you've tried to coach that into some of your athletes? How you've tried to develop that within them? Yeah, we're probably lucky that some have already sort of come in being developed players so that they understand that. I think when they first come into an Australian team, there's nerves and things like that. In the back of their mind, they can be scared. It depends on their personality. Some come in there quite confident. There's a big difference between confident and cocky, but they certainly come into the environment not wanting to fail. They, they want to have a long-term career as an Australian representative. So they're reluctant. So you've got to just 
try and influence confidence and, and take them back to what they do best, make them understand as to why they're there and what attributes that really made them stand out to have that opportunity, all the really positive things and just sort of endorsing those and, and making them feel at home, making them feel part of the group, an equal part of the group, more importantly, and not just some trade-off that, oh, there's a newbie, they can carry the bags today or clean the shoes and that sort of thing. We don't quite operate like that. So they're an equal with everyone and they can have a say in things and, and that sort of thing as well, which is really important, but certainly still learning the trade. And, and I hope that they've all got the ambition and the desire to want to continue to improve, whether it's, again, performance-wise, whether it's a person, whether it's their legacy, all this sort of thing. We just had a, a lady retire in, in her early 40s who's played for 25 years for Australia by the name of Karen Murphy. And I think, and she's one of my very good friends as well, we've played in the team together and then finished up coach player. But one of her great attributes was that she was always a sponge for information. She just always wanted to improve and she'll go down as one of the greatest players of all time unquestionably, but I mainly put it down to the fact that she was just meticulous and always wanted to improve. She never got to a stage where she thought, breach my pinnacle, there, not a chance. So just too committed, too much killer instinct to just sit back and breathe in the sunshine, so to speak. What about a situation though? I mean, it's great when you've got players like Karen there who are a role model for others within the team, but so often within teams, there can be negative peer pressure or there can be pockets of resistance. How have you dealt with that as a coach? Yeah, I think we still deal with that. I think there's always, again, those different personalities and some may not necessarily agree with the philosophy of the coach or the program, that sort of thing. So, And I think it's just trying to break it down a little bit and sort of I suppose we've got a reasonable track record now that there's some factual evidence behind the fact that these program initiatives, these sort of expectations that we put on players actually does warrant or ultimately provide results at the end of the day. So to have that factual evidence or that supporting evidence is always a big plus. And, and look, sometimes we get players that come in and, and expect things to fall into their lap and ultimately they probably don't cut the mustard. They fall away or, or they walk away or doors closed on them. And that's always really tough too. You have some incredibly deep adult conversations, respectful one-on-one -on -one conversations with people sometimes. And we're always very mindful of those people that miss selection. As I say, we've got a very strong group. So those that miss selection, say, for Commonwealth Games, which is a big ticket item. I mean, that's been on their goal since they first put a bowl down to make Commonwealth Games. And if they go, if they're a fringe player and go that close and miss out, well, there's an aftermath of that. So a first port of call is trying our best to ensure that we talk to them, we have those very difficult conversations about why, have some factual evidence to support it. I can't help but be empathetic to them because I've been there, so I know. Clearly, you can never say sorry. You want to sometimes, or in my case as coach, another great challenge is the fact that you're the messenger. So we have a selection panel and, and sometimes the team on the paddock may not be the team that I necessarily endorse. So you're actually providing a message to a player that didn't make it that you're not exactly in tune with either. So that they're the really difficult ones sometimes that you just want to tell them. And of course, that will never come out as to who those players were. That's something you take to your grave with your sort of thing. But in the back of your mind, you're really feeling for them and you just want to hug them and wrap them up and you can't do that. It has its moments as well. You say you can't do that. You come across, Steve, as such a personable, connected coach to your athletes. But then you've got these times where you've got to deliver bad news. How do you find that line between being intimate with them but also being able to step back and be 
dispassionate when you have to. I think that trust, the fact it comes in again, you've got to build that relationship. And one of the first things we always say, and, and I don't know how you do it in your role in the corporate world or, or how the coaches do it, but one of the first lines I'll always use is that if I'm providing feedback to you, Paul, and you haven't made the team is, Paul, we're going to have a conversation today and, and some of the things you're probably not going to agree with, but let's talk about it and let's break it down and work through it sort of thing. So really, again, having that ability to have the evidence and then provide an environment that is respectful and safe is really important. So we have little quirks about how we announce teams and things like that. So there's no perfect way to announce a team, particularly for those that miss out. And, and these are a lot of these are friends of mine because you become friendly with them. But we announce the team in a method as simple as a text message to the whole group to say, this is the team. We tell them that it'll be delivered on 7am on Wednesday, the 4th of August. Have your phone on. And then from there, we have a process to say, well, over the next 20, 48 hours, the national coach, yours truly, will be in touch to further discuss. If you want to fast track that conversation as a player, you can. You can ring me anytime and we'll start having that conversation as to why not. And again, they're our first port of call. I had one particular player who couldn't speak to me for three weeks and we're very tight, but was just so disappointed in, in a non-selection that, and this player's back as wonderful things in the balls were successful which is great but yeah it's everyone's different I wanted to ask you about diversity because bowls is a game with such diversity men women young people old people people with disabilities and all kinds of disabilities too vision impaired I'm really keen to hear how you go about managing such diversity because it's actually unusual I actually don't find it too bad to be honest again the respect values come back in so respecting people's place in life, understanding that they're all different. They've got a different role to play in the team. We're actually very lucky, I think, that we have a group that they're prepared to buy in as well. So sometimes when you have some new group members come in, say from, to use an example, but say from the disability section who aren't used to working with our elite or vice versa, that just takes a lot of communication, really, the doors of communication. So they get to know each other very well. Again, understanding how they tick, what they need to not survive, but what they need to have happen for them that puts them in the best environment as well. And then those guys having the ability to, to understand that they can't always have it all. So what are they going to sacrifice to ensure? Well, simple philosophy is treat others as you'd like to be treated yourself. I think that you can't make it any more simple than that. So having those respect qualities, and it seems to flow pretty nice. I mean, we always occasional speed bump and that sort of thing, but in the general sense, there are good group of people that come from good families. They've been involved in the sport, so they know immediately that there's going to be a diverse group in any case, especially when all these groups don't come together because they're well-versed in the sport. So it's not totally foreign for them to be in an environment where there might be someone that's 30 years old or younger than or have a disability or stuff like that. So it's not a total shock, so to speak. I'm interested, Steve, are there any particular resources that you found helpful as a coach? Talking to other coaches, I think that's probably the best one. What I find that does is certainly give you new ideas and it might be just little simple things that you don't necessarily agree with that you don't want to incorporate into your program. But a lot of the time, it gives you confidence what you're doing yourself. Whilst bowls is totally different to, say, rugby league or things, there are still a lot of things that happen behind the scenes to bring a team together that makes a team click that basically resonate across any sort of sport. And the same goes for corporate sort of stuff. Those same principles, those same philosophies, so to me, the best resource is just talking to other coaches, listen, and I really love listening to them. That's why I'll definitely tune into the podcast because I'll be a sponge for information myself. And, and again, some of that will endorse what we already do. 
you know, give me light bulb moments as to maybe things we can do ourselves. So, but the philosophies are very simple as well. If you can get the basics right, if you're elite and you're truly gifted at what you do and you understand your role and position, you understand the type of tactics that we're trying to employ, if you can get those basic fundamentals right more times than not, you're going to be successful. And it's not overcomplicating it. It's keeping it quite simple, breaking it down into layman's terms that everyone knows the sort of role and what their job is to do out in the playing field. And if you've got people that are prepared to buy into that, again, it makes your life a whole lot easier. You mentioned families a minute ago, and I understand your dad introduced you to bowls. Just listening to you, you come across as a real calm influence, a real, I want to use the word grown-up influence over the organisation that you're running. But what lessons did you take from your own family into your coaching? Probably not a lot from that side, but certainly my father was an accomplished player in his own right. So I played cricket and rugby league and got into bowls and I got into bowls because of my father. But I think from a playing perspective, I had a privileged introduction to the sport where I was mixing with very good players from the get-go and I used to even as a junior as a 12 year old I'd go along and watch these great players play and I could just sit there all day just soak it up about the tactics they used the way they interacted with their teammates the good the bad and the ugly I mean it wasn't all good so I guess hopefully some of that resonated with me and, and things I took away from that to take into my own playing career. I think that was a really critical component to my playing career. So that extended to being in the team and learning things from a player's point of view, learning things from previous coaches that were very, very good. In some cases, it was philosophies or program initiatives that I didn't agree with as a player, able to manipulate the current program, taking all that into account. And look, there's no doubt there'd be players in our current system that don't agree with some of the philosophies or some of the principles we live by, and that's okay. But to their credit, they do their utmost to sort of influence that and support it. The door's wide open. It's an open-door policy. Come and have a chat. Sometimes they've got excellent points. It's not about being a dictatorship. They've got excellent points to bring into the program, which is great. Your peers are your best judges. You certainly take on board their feedback and providing you're both willing to say, well, we might not always agree, but we'll walk away better for the conversation, then that's great. So just those respect values again. And Steve, just lastly, if I could ask, what's the legacy you believe you're leaving as a coach? Yeah, I don't think about it too much. Probably bang on about it a fair bit with our players and that sort of thing about them. Look, I don't know. I'll probably think about legacy when it's all over. I think at the moment I'm sort of focused on doing the very best job I can for, well, A, for the organisation, B, for the sport, and probably C, for the playing group and getting the best out of them. I'd like to think probably walk away being respected, a little bit clinical in how we go about things. It's always nice to hear people say, well, you're a bloody good bloke or something like that. That's nice. But I think, you know, just motivated, committed, got that desire and practical, I suppose, trying to get the job done and being, again, the best wingman I can be to the whole group. And it's a great challenge sometimes. Steve Glasson, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fantastic. Paul, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. The best wishes to you and your family in Prague as well. Thanks, Steve, and to yours as well. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Paul. Take care. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. You've been listening to the great coach, Steve Glasson. Some of the key highlights for me were how it is often the simple things that can make a difference when it comes to being on the podium or not. The importance of understanding your athlete's motivations so you can see where the performance gaps might come from. And wanting to leave a legacy of being the type of person who was practical in the way they tried to get the job done. I hope you enjoyed it and can picture yourself out there on that bowling green. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then let us know. Just like Doug73 from the United Kingdom who said, 
great insightful podcast series and Biscuit Eleven from Australia who said, wow, I just listened to the interview with Tracy Menzies. Having been an elite swimmer myself and now a teacher, I could relate to everything she said. I loved how the questions were phrased. I just really enjoyed hearing this story. Going back to school in a couple of weeks, I'll be carrying some of the advice I heard and will be aiming to work on it. Thanks. I look forward to listening to your other interviews. Thank you so much for those comments, Doug73 and Biscuit11. It's the interaction with people around the world who listen, give us great energy. All the details on how to connect with us and other people who are interested in the leadership insights from great sports coaches are in the show notes.